As we seek to open God's Word this morning, let us go to Him in prayer. Lord, we ask that You would open our minds and our eyes to see uh, wondrous things from Your Word, that we would be uh, changed by who You are and what You've done. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think about this this morning. You know, what, what is mankind's biggest threat? Okay. Now, cut on the news. You have a lot of opinions as it relates to what threatens us. Uh, you, you cut on the news, you probably hear something about you know, radical Islamic terrorism. Uh, that's a threat out there. Uh, Vice Pre- former Vice President Al Gore, he says, you know, our, our biggest threat is global warming. And uh, English physicist Richard, Richard Dawkins, I mean not Richard Dawkins, Stephen Hawking um, says that our biggest threat is artificial intelligence. Now, I don't know what you would say our biggest threat is. Maybe unemployment, breakdown of family, uh, whatever it may be. There's, the list goes on and on. But if you think about it this way, what is your biggest threat? Personal. Like what, what is threatening you the most right now? Or another way to ask that question is, what would you like to be saved from? What would you like someone to kind of come in and, and kind of help you with or take care of for you? Now, keep that question in mind. What would you like to be saved from? And I want us to journey back to Jerusalem in the first century. And here's the context. Thousands of Jewish people are coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. This annual feast, this wonderful feast that symbolizes how God brings His people out of slavery and into freedom. How God brings people out of an oppressive government and delivers them to be the people He wants them to be. Okay, so you have this swirling around the context. And then you have also uh, this anticipation that the Jews had of God delivering a king, bringing a king about that would restore the kingdom to Israel. And in the midst of that, you also have Rumors and reports swirling around about this man named Jesus who is uh, healing people, raising people from the dead. He's teaching about the kingdom. Thousands are talking about him. And so mixed in that kind of whole combination of elements, you have this uh, context in Jerusalem in the first century as Passover nears. And so with that said, let's jump into John chapter 12. And we're going to pick it up in the midst of that context to see what happens next? And so we're in John 12, and you have the Jewish people flooding into Jerusalem. And you know, if you, while you're turning there, if you, you know, if you were to do kind of a man on the street interview outside the temple, you're kind of hanging out outside the temple. You have your, you know, you don't have a microphone or whatnot, but you have maybe a scribe recording the reports here, and you just ask your average, you know, person. A Jewish person walking down the street. What is your biggest threat? You know, I wonder what they'd say. At least some of them, I would think, would say. The first, they'd look over their shoulder, you know, make sure there weren't any soldiers around. And they would say, our biggest threat is Rome. This Roman government that is oppressing us. They have their thumb on us. Yes, we experience some religious freedom, but they're still in control. We still have to pay all these taxes and we're really limited to really being who we think we should, we should be or ought to be as a nation. And so, that's the feeling. And then you hit John chapter 12. 
And like I said, there's this context of excitement, anticipation, what God will do through His Messiah. You have the news about Jesus. You have the Passover. A lot of excitement. And then in John 12, verses 12 through 15, we read this. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees, maybe like the ones you saw waving in the air as the kids came forward today. They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Okay? So the crowd is yelling out. And and actually, they yell out two very powerful and true statements about Jesus. First of all, they, they recognize that he's coming to save. And indeed, he is. And they also yell out that he's the king. And he is. And yet, Jesus is going to fulfill those statements in very different ways than they're expecting. So let's look at that first statement. They recognize that he's coming to save. And we see that in verse 13 when it says that they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying out Hosanna. So first we see the palm trees, you know, the palm branches. They're laying the branches down as Jesus comes in. And that's just simply a sign of recognizing that he's the king. You know, we're recognizing his kingship. He's, we do believe he could be the Messiah. He's coming in to conquer to deliver the people of God, to, to bring in the kingdom of God. And there was some historical precedent for this laying down of cloaks or laying down of branches. Second uh, Kings 9, you have the, the people of, uh, of that day, the friends of Jehu laying down their cloaks when he was anointed king. You have just over 100 years before Jesus comes on the scene, a man named Simon Maccabeus. Uh, He achieves a great military victory, and as he comes in Jerusalem, the people lay down palm branches, acknowledging uh, the great uh, victory that was won. And so you have this same type of sign here when Jesus comes in, recognizing that he has come to save. He's the coming king to deliver. And the second cry you see here is the one that they yell out in verse 13. They say, Hosanna, which is... Simply a word that means save now. And most likely this is coming from uh, Psalm 118. It's a popular psalm that uh, all Jewish people would know. It's a psalm that was often sung during the Passover feast. And uh, part of that psalm uh, included this word, Hosanna, save now. And so they recognize that Jesus has come to save. Jesus could be the one. That would save them. But the question is, save them from what? <laughs> That's the question. What, what is he going to save them from? Well, I think many people were hoping that he would save them from Roman oppression, right? Deliver them from Rome. Bring back Israel as a mighty military and political kingdom. So they could stop you know, paying taxes. And they can just live like they want. And you know, I think we have a lot in common with those first century Jews that thought that way. In that we think that we want God to save us from usually things that are more external than internal. 
You know, I want God to come and save me from a difficult situation. You know, God, would you just get me out of this jam? Right? God, would you, Jesus, would you come riding in and just make life just a little bit easier? Isn't that why you came? Right? That's the kind of king I want. Make life easy. Get me out of a jam. Give me what I want. That's the kind of king we tend to want. And that's the kind of king they wanted. And I just wonder, is that, is that what you want Jesus to save you from? Is that why he came? Is that what he came to save us from? And what we realize is our biggest need is not to be saved from you know, some political party or some external thing such as artificial intelligence. Even though those, those may be threats, real threats. But fundamentally, we need somebody to save us from something much more harmful than that. And our biggest need is for someone to come and save us from not something external, but something internal, namely ourselves. Or better yet, you may want to say it this way, we need someone to come and save us from our self-centeredness. This tendency we all have to put ourselves on the throne. You know, the tendency we all have to put, try to put ourselves in the place of God. And do things our way to build our kingdom to live for ourselves. I mean, that's true of the human heart. That's our condition. That's what we tend to go after. And so we see Jesus coming in on a donkey. And we wonder, is he the kind of king that's going to help me get what I want? Well... Not if self is on the throne. He's not going to help you prop up that kingdom. But he's going to come in and help you with something far more uh, intrusive than a political government or uh, global warming or whatever it may be. He's going to come in to do some heart surgery. He's going to do some, you know, uh, some, some throne or furniture arrangement in your life. And he's going to help you basically take yourself off the throne And he's going to put himself there to reign. That's what Christ came to do. He is the king. And he's inviting you to to submit to him as king. In other words, step down off your throne and acknowledge his kingship. Which is leading to the second point that they yelled out. The second statement. Because they realized he's coming, coming as king. I mean, they saw that. And that's why they would say this in verse 13 through 15. They would say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming. Sitting on a donkey's colt. All the gospel writers pick up on this. They're yelling out, he's the king. And he's saying, you're exactly right. I am the king. And he fulfills the prophecy in in Zechariah 9.9. And he's the king. He's coming riding on a donkey. Just like Zechariah said he would. And so you see him... Coming, the people are thinking maybe this guy could be the king. He could be the Messiah. He could be the deliverer. Because, hey, he's raised Lazarus from the dead. He's done all these miracles. He's been teaching about the kingdom. This could be the guy. He's riding on a donkey, you know? I mean, this could be him. And then we see him riding on this donkey in fulfillment, like I mentioned, of uh, Zechariah 9.9, which says... If you look back at your Old Testament, Zechariah 9, 9, this is what you'll read. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous 
and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foil of a donkey. Now here's the thing. If you're going to go into battle and conquer the kingdoms of the world, just think about what kind of animal you would ride on. I'm thinking like an elephant or maybe, you know, one of those Clydesdale horses. Probably not a donkey. I'm not picking a donkey. It's not making my top 10. It's not making my top 50. You know, riding on a donkey, conquering the world. It's not going to happen. And so you think, well, that's strange. He's coming in on a donkey. Usually kings come in to conquer on like a warrior horse. But he's coming in on a donkey. And he is coming to king. He's coming as king. He's coming to save. But he's coming on a donkey. And there's a few things we see regarding that. One, he is fulfilling prophecy. We know that. But he's also coming to establish a kingdom different than the way the people wanted the kingdom to be established. And even different than the way you want the kingdom to be established. And different than the way I want the kingdom to be established. In our nature. I mean, this is not what we want by nature. But yet, this is the kind of kingdom Christ is bringing in. And the way he brings in the kingdom of God turns the values of the world upside down. Okay, Think about what the world values. Most of the kingdoms of the world. What do we value? We value power. We value money, resources. We value pleasure. I mean, these are kind of the three big ones. These are what we value. And we try to grasp and accumulate as much of those things as possible. Right? The more power we have, the stronger our kingdom. The more money we have, the stronger we are. The more pleasure we can have, hey, that's wonderful. You know, that's what we want as much of all three of those things as possible. And we try to hoard it and then even use it against other people. And yet Jesus comes, and this is what one writer says. He says he's putting together a different type of kingdom. He says it this way. He says, on the cross, Christ wins through losing, triumphs through defeat, achieves power through weakness, comes to wealth by giving all away. And Jesus Christ turns the values of the world upside down. I know that sounds a little strange. I want to show you one example of this later on in the book of John, in John 18. And it's an exchange between Jesus and Pilate. And I just want to share this example to to affirm this idea that Jesus is bringing in a kingdom that's different than the kingdom of the world. So listen to these verses, John 18, verses 33 through 40. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this or or do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What, What have you done? And Jesus answered, Listen to this. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, My servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. 
Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Let me just point out a few things in this passage. Verse 36, Jesus says, My kingdom's not of this world. It's not from this world. He's not saying that my kingdom has nothing to do with this world. He's just saying, My kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. It has a different value system. It comes about differently. This, my kingdom's not coming in with the sword. But His kingdom comes in through the heart and then pushes its way outward through the life. Right? That's how the kingdom comes into each life. So he says, my kingdom's not from this world. There's different types of kingdoms. You've got Pilate, you're, the kingdom you're trying to build up and protect. And then you have Jesus bringing in his kingdom. And then it says you have Barabbas at the very end. I think this is very telling. You have Barabbas and Pilate, you know, he's constantly trying to shirk responsibility and not deal with Jesus. And so finally he says, hey, people, crowd, you know, there's this custom. We, we, we hand over a prisoner at this time of the year for you all. And I'm going to give you the choice. Do you want the king of the Jews or someone else? And it says they yell out Barabbas. Now, one thing about Barabbas that we maybe we oversimplify is we call him a thief, a robber. But, but you need to realize he is on death row. And so some commentators believe that he's more than just a thief. But he is kind of anti-Rome. He, he's an uh, activist, a political activist that is standing against Rome. And that's where his crime lies, in the, in the robbing or thieving of Rome, standing against Rome. And so many commentators believe that he was actually celebrated to some degree among the Jews because he is pro-Israel, anti-Rome, right? He's locked up as a political prisoner almost. I mean, so he kind of, kind of had this uh, local hero status. And so the people say, you know, we don't want Jesus to be released. We want Barabbas. Why? It's because we all want Barabbas. Right? We all want the person that's going to establish our agenda. That's what we want. To further my kingdom. To get what I want. And they look at Jesus and Barabbas and they think, who's more likely to help us overthrow Rome? Who's more, you know, pro-Israel, anti-Rome? Well, it's not Jesus. It's Barabbas. So we'd rather have Barabbas crucify Jesus. And that's, that's the cry of all of our hearts. In our nature, our tendency is to want our own kingdom established. And we want a king that's going to help us do it. But Jesus is not going to allow that to happen. When he comes riding in on that donkey... He is not the type of king that is going to allow us to build our own kingdoms. He's not going to allow us to just remain in this kind of self-centered state with self on the throne. Because his kingdom is not of this world. His values are different. And if you are in Christ, you will relate to the world differently. If Christ is on the throne of your life, you will relate to the world differently. Listen to how Tim Keller puts it. 
He says, in this new counterculture, and what he's talking about there is, you know, the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of man. It's just, it's different. There's a contrast. And so he says, in this new counterculture, Christians look at money as something to give away. They look at power as something to use strictly for service. Racial and class superiority, accrual of money and power at the expense of others, yearning for popularity and recognition. These normal marks of human life are the opposite of the mindset of those who have understood and experienced the cross. So we, as Christians, we just relate to the values of the world differently. Why? Because Jesus has conquered our greatest threat. You know, our greatest threat is not, it's not ISIS or artificial intelligence. It's our self-centeredness. It's this tendency we all have to put ourselves on the throne and live for ourselves. But in Christ, our sin's forgiven and we are given this new God-centered life. And therefore, because of that, we relate to the, the values of the world differently because I don't need power, I don't need money, and I don't need pleasure to make me uh, valuable. I don't, I don't need those things to, to prop myself up, to make myself feel good about myself. Because I have a relationship with God in Christ. Christ is my identity. He's on the throne of my life. And because of that, I take the world's values, these things that the world values, power, money, pleasure, and I want, to, I want to do with these things what God wants me to do with them. I want to use power for the good of other people. I want to be generous with what I have. I want to seek pleasure in the way God has designed it to be enjoyed. So that's just a different way of thinking about those things than the kingdom of the world. And so our identity is in Christ our King. And now we, we live for His kingdom. And the question that you need to wrestle with and ask to your, your, yourself is, you know, which kingdom do I belong to? Is self on the throne or is Christ on the throne? And then ask yourself, which kingdom do I want to belong to? Whose kingdom do I want to be in? My own? Or the kingdom of the world? Or do I want to be in the kingdom of God? If you want to be in the kingdom of God then you need to believe in the one who came riding on the donkey, gave himself on the cross, was buried, was raised from the dead, who has ascended into heaven, and who is reigning at the right hand of the Father, Jesus Christ. So Jesus came to bring in a counterculture, a different type of kingdom. He comes riding in humble on a donkey and yet he accomplishes exactly what his father sent him to accomplish. And the question is, do you want to be in his kingdom? And I encourage you, if you don't know Christ, if self is still on the throne of your life, then I encourage you to confess that to God. Agree with God about that and ask him, God, I want Christ on the throne of my life. I want to be in your kingdom and live for your kingdom. Let us pray together. Lord, I hope that's our prayer. Lord, we want Christ to rule and reign in our hearts because we know that
That, that's what we're created for. We're created for you. We're not created for the things of this world to put in the place of, of you, Lord. We just, we just want to submit ourselves to the kingship of Christ. Lord, help us to find our identity in our relationship with you instead of our relationship with the things of the world. So that we may use these things as you, as you have intended us to use them. For your glory and for the good of those around us, Lord. Help us to relate to them in that manner. Lord, and now we just do ask that you would uh, guide us, lead us as we seek to live out uh, your kingdom here in this place. And that is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.